Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are Gareth and Milo. Hello, chaps. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, (laughs) indeed. Yes, indeed. Well said. I mean, look, what a difference a week makes, chaps, right? I mean, records broken, champions beaten, a bench looking stronger than fortified steel. It can only mean one thing, right? That we have once again beat Manchester City at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium earlier today by one record-breaking Harry Kane goal to nil, which leaves us with so many positives to enjoy on today's pod. It's almost too great a thing to be able to say, but I've said it and I'll say it again. This is going to be a positive, fun pod, and we are going to enjoy every single minute of it. Well, that's that's our download numbers ruined. To say one thing I've learned <laughs> through January is <laughs> we've got, our, our listeners are doom mongers. The worse the result, the more the downloads. <laughs> I think maybe we're a safe haven uh, during the, during the bad times, and people come come to us because we're not going to rant and rave and throw crockery at the walls. No, but what they can be guaranteed from with us is that we will give them weird metaphors, musical references, and we'll always have a little chip and a look at under the under the carpet here and there, however good it is, right? So they know they're going to get more than just, you know, happy, clappy, cheerful stuff. But let's face it, if ever there was going to be a game to get happy, clappy about, it will be today. We will have fun. Gareth was there. He can tell us both about it. Um, and uh, hardly looking forward to getting into that. But, Milo, we have business, first of all, do we not? We do. Should I pick this one up? Yes, you should. Go on then. So the week that was, we've only got one item this week, and it's the club's response to the trusts, the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust's letter that they sent last month, asking for clarification on the club's strategy, Conte's future, player recruitment and investment. So, chaps, what did you think of the response? Gareth? Um, I thought there was a good level of detail within the responses. Um, I thought there were some some pretty good answers, and I think they've reinforced some real positives. And I, I think it is a good reminder that well, they say we've qualified for European 17 of the last 20 years and 13 years successively. And, you know, as we do, we're very aware of what came before them. And that is undoubtedly a marked improvement. There's, you know, there's a reference to being part of that virtuous, sustainable cycle. Um, and I think, I think they're right to right to point out the successes that they've had as a club i mean my my only thoughts on it were if you are adamant that you want enoch out and you don't like them um then probably you you read what you choose to read in it and it was probably red rag to the ball so i can understand that there will be some people who are very anti-enoch that will have read that and won't be appeased in any any shape or form at all um but yeah, it's it's it, it, it's a response. I think I'd rather they be sitting in the room across the table from the from the uh, supporters' trust board, which used to happen previously. But I think there's some bridges that have been burned that probably need to be repaired before that will happen again. But look, there was some interesting reading on it. I'm not sure if you had a strong opinion before and you'd have changed it. I really didn't think it was that much of a surprise at all. I didn't expect a public uh, response from them to bring anything particularly enlightening. I didn't expect them to address any of the sort of hot potato issues. I mean, you know, this is this is a uh, this is spin media, you know. Uh, and look, in fairness, as you said, Gareth, a lot of what they said is extremely accurate and 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 you know beyond beyond dispute well i think milo where you and i agree on this and we, we you know uh, listeners should know as i like to say at this moment that we do chat during the week and we get on uh, you know both on the phone and you know via the text and we both agreed that this if anything this the one thing this statement lacked was was sort of emotional intelligence it it, it, it was almost as if it was written by an ai bot it's it's our friend AI writing things again, except it wouldn't have been Barbara Cartland writing this one, would it? It would have been an instruction manual for a Bosch washing machine or something. I mean, it was just really, really cold, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, as a kind of a Donna bot. Um, I mean, I I I, th- I think the tone of the response was was stupid, frankly. I think a lot of the content was was fine. But presentationally, it was awful. And, you know, when you talk about the emotional intelligence, you know, they, they clearly hadn't thought of the audience or, you know, the people asking the questions and, and where they're coming from. And it, it does appear that they just don't understand the criticism of them. Steph? It, 
they, they just don't understand humanity. I, I'll let you into a little secret of how I deal with a customer service gripe on the phone. The first thing I say to the person answering the phone is, you know, hello, my name is Steph, blah, 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 blah. You know, just to say, if I get a little frustrated, I'm, I apologize in advance. It's absolutely not personal. I know you're just working for the company and you're trying to help me, but I am a little frustrated by this situation. Just want to make sure that if I lose sight of what I'm saying, I sound a little grumpy. It's not personal. Immediately, that person is more on your side. And I just, you look at this and you read this and you're like, where's the win here? Yeah. And I think they could have said, you know, we recognize that things have gone a little awry over the last few years. And, you know, we're not where we want to be, but we're working hard towards, you know, getting back to where where we were. And I also think, you know, I mean, kind of going back to the response that Conte gave to the press conference last month. They'd do really well to get in front of a camera and talk to someone. Yeah, you know, maybe do what you know, do one-to-one interview with a journalist or you know somewhere or you know maybe Spurs play. I think I think probably seeing you know outside an outside public yeah you know, publication or, or a broadcaster would be better. But I really think they'd do a lot better to explain. You know, talk about what they're doing. Just be more open. I think you hit the nail on the head uh, with this, and it's probably we should probably move on after this. I think, but uh, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Um, sorry, that was an idea coming into my head, actually, and you were all um, in, uh, lucky enough to hear it. You know, they really do need to just understand that people don't mind if every so often you do say, as you said, had a bit of a tough time, maybe got a couple of things off here and there, but we are trying hard to get it right. Just admit that you have mm. been less than perfect. It's okay. People empathize with that. Uh, and I do wish that the, the board would understand that. You know, it's one of the things that Poch managed to make them was a little more human and they seem to have lost that that edge again. So let's hope that they, they, they find it. <laughs> I mean, really, you know. I really think that they'd benefit from bringing someone into the board who's just really good at comms and PR and then and putting them out there. You know, someone as a, a spokesperson for for the board I think would be good I think you know Paratici can do that on the playing side but I think maybe kind of the broader club strategy stuff that's a bit out of his brief and um just someone there who was was good at that and open and and just talk to the fans a bit more would do wonders we're back to Paul Barber again and people like that who straddle the line they are both excellent at their jobs and they care that's what I would like more is someone who actually does care at the board level in an emotional way look I think that as stewards of the business they absolutely care and I'm sure somewhere in there they want the club of course they want the club to do well and of course they want us to win but there is we go back to that phrase emotional intelligence uh, and I just think it's it's lacking in this statement and uh, you hope that there's someone in there that can find a connection uh with the support base and 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 really you know affect communication in the future so yeah i mean <laughs> i think that's all right shall yeah we, i think so i think so should, should we beat the bots up anymore or should we leave the bots alone <laughs> bots out alone. sorry <laughs> get, get, get the bots out uh that could be misconstrued um but what cannot be misconstrued is that uh you know something brilliant happened today I mean, we beat Manchester City. That's brilliant, but it's somewhat expected at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium where, by the way, they have failed to score a goal against us in any competition. (laughs) Um, But we should, you know, start off about the brilliant Harry Kane, greatest ever goal scorer and one of the best players ever to play for this club. 267 record-breaking goals for Tottenham Hotspur, 200 Premier League goals today as well. Two markers in one. Loves playing against City, doesn't he? He does. And I mean, is there any more to say than that? He loves playing against Manchester City because he scores against them. But there again, chaps, is there anyone that Harry Kane doesn't score against? I mean, <laughs> I mean he's just absolutely prolific. And uh, I think I think what really got me today about the record-breaking goal was the level of emotion it seemed to hit him with. It surely convinces anyone that doubts how much he loves this club. That, that they're yeah. wrong, that this club is deep in his heart. I mean, I, I swear that I saw grit in his eye at the final whistle when he was talking to the crowd. I almost thought he was going to shed a tear in the celebrations after the goal. And, you know, the interviews afterwards, I mean, he just seemed just so overwhelmed with genuine pride and joy at having done this for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Gareth, you were there. Tell us. Tell us about the vibe. 
Yeah, but I mean, it, it worked out really well. I mean, imagine if he'd come off the bench and scored the fourth goal in the 93rd minute against Preston last week, and that had been the 267th goal. So, I mean, as it, mad, as it turned out, we didn't know it at the time when he scored in the 15th minute, but it turned out to be the winner as well. There was a really nice moment. I don't know whether it got put, picked up on television, but at the full-time whistle or at the, the aftermath of the game, there'd been a pre-recorded interview that went up on the big screens inside the stadium that he clearly watched that was, um, that was Danny Greaves. Jimmy's son talking about how proud he was that Harry had, had overtaken his dad's record and you know Kane it was he, you know he clearly I, I don't know whether he was expecting it or knew it was coming on but he stopped to look at it and to and to watch it and to to take it in there was something on the Sky's coverage after the game they had a camera in their dressing room and um, Conte phoned Kane and told him how proud he was which was which was a nice touch as well um I mean, I think he had a really, really strong performance today and he took his goal wonderfully. And, you know, we all knew it was just a matter of time. We all knew it was coming. And, but I also hope that kind of getting past this landmark frees him up a bit and he plays with a bit more freedom and, and the goals start running now because it, it's, it's this, this milestone's felt, felt like a little while for us to get, to get, for him to get there and get over it. And, um, yeah. It's like a batsman in the 90s, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I'm going to give some props to my son here, actually, for a moment, um, Zach, um, who is a regular listener. Uh, Zach, you're absolutely right when you said to me in the way that you do tend to drop these like very simple phrases in and then you sit and think about them, like, crikey. He said, and we've seen every single one of them. When I mentioned the 267 goals, he just said, yeah, and we've seen every single one of them. And that doesn't just mean, you know, you, Gareth, me, Milo, me. It means everyone, all of you who are listening, we have all been privileged to see all of these goals. Think about that for a moment. Like an all-time record-breaking goal scorer, and we've seen it in our lifetime. How amazing is that? I think, sorry, one last thing you said in kind of the intro about is there anyone he doesn't score against. I think it was it Brentford last Last month, I think, mm. with that goal, he scored against every single Premier League club yeah. during the time he's been playing. Yeah, no, that's that's right. I've, I've been trying to work this out. He possibly didn't score against Colchester when he played against them a few years ago. Oh, for Christ's sake. Well, then, you know what? He could just go and do one. Yeah, Harry Kane should just go and do one because he didn't score yeah. against Colchester. God yeah. damn it. But, I, mean, so, I mean, just a couple of bits of, about him getting that record. Yeah. Um, first, I can remember a few years ago, and it, it, won't, it won't surprise you to know that I was working on a spreadsheet, and this is before any of any of us guys were um, knew each other. But I would have been about... absolutely disgusted and appalled if you hadn't been working on one. And uh, for I, those I who don't regularly listen, Gareth's spreadsheets are a thing of legend around here. So settle in, because you'll ne- not get any better set of facts than these. Yeah. No, well, I, I was thinking about being about at the time that your club achieves great things. So clearly for any Manchester United supporter who came about and started watching them in the 90s and they had those trophy-laden seasons. So if you're not going to see those trophies coming in, what are the next best things that you can say you've seen that have been part of that club's history? And seeing your club's goal-scoring record get broken is a is, is a phenomenal one. So certainly in our lifetime, um, or, or this generation will have seen Rooney take that record at Old Trafford for Manchester United. Um, Lampard got it at Chelsea, Aguero got it at City and it was something that when I put this spreadsheet together it was about five years ago and he was maybe on about 100 goals at the time, you still just couldn't envisage that he would get to that 266 I mean that 266, that threshold become Tottenham Hotspur's highest goal scorer, I mean just to put it in numbers again if someone was going to take that record again now, they would have to score on average over 26 goals a season for 10 seasons I mean just, just think about that for a moment scoring 26 goals a season over 10 years, it's it's just unthinkable it's unimaginable that someone could do that so I, th- I think there's as has been the case with Greaves I think it's highly unlikely that in Harry Kane's lifetime he's going to see someone surpass his record which we hope will go well into the 300s oh, uh, just to add there is a rather f- uh, frightening thing for the rest of football uh, particularly the Premier League the Champions League t- to consider which is that Harry uh, has, has he has been pretty regularly playing recently the ankles seem to have held up pretty well everything's held up pretty well um and 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 he looks physically more in control of how he manages his body during games uh that than I've ever seen him and it's been a major factor I think hasn't it um in him continuing yeah. to play and play and play yeah I mean he's he's spoken a lot about what he's been doing off the pitch so he's he's he does yoga doesn't he? he's got a fitness trainer as well that he he uses 
and he he strengthened the muscles around the ankle. So I mean, he hasn't had an ankle injury for for a while. No, um, but you want to since since the Champions League final, which of course that was his comeback game, having sustained mm. an ankle injury earlier on in the competition. He's missed one game in just coming up four years because of ankle problems, and that was an ankle injury he got at Everton in Mourinho's last game. The only other injury spell he's where he's been out was for a hamstring yeah. tear that he got at Southampton. So the ankle injuries really is not something that's been an issue for nearly four years now. And- I think the other thing that came when you start talking about records is that I mean, you know, it's easy to see him dropping back as he as he ages because he's always had that in his game anyway. So he's going to be a natural to play, you know, you know, into his thirties. You you could see him playing you know, deep into his thirties because his game is good. You know, his all round game is so good. So even if he's not playing as a as a striker, whether it's as number ten or you know, you could even see him playing in midfield in some setups. Mm-hmm. He'll still get plenty of goals. He's still he's always going to be a threat when he gets into the box, and you're always going to try and find ways to get him into the box, even if he's not leading the line. So, what? What? I mean, at current rate, what is he? Three three seasons away from Shearer's record. Two or three seasons away from that, isn't he? Yeah, two sixty. So he's six, exactly sixty goals behind. So, well, it depends on what he gets in the second half of this season, doesn't it? Yeah. But he could he could put himself within touching distance within with two seasons if he has a good run between now and the end of the season. Yeah, well, I think Shearer played till he was thirty six, didn't he, at Newcastle? Yeah. So I think you know, he's got six years to get to that, provided he's still playing in the Premier League for that amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, we're just at that stage of the, uh, you know, our reg- it's becoming quite regular, isn't it? Our Harry Kane tribute, uh, and it's becoming regular on, on all Tottenham pods, and it's becoming regular in all Tottenham pub conversations and all football conversations. And now I'm going to break out the cliche, which is you run out of superlatives to describe Harry Kane. Um, and once again, uh, you know, here we are singing his praises over and over. I mean, there really isn't very much more you can say about him. He's saying it every week, and every statement seems to be bigger and bigger. And there's always Harry Kane broke this record. Harry Kane broke. They just keep on rolling, and we love it. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, he's still um, kind of underestimated. He's still you know, there's still people out there who don't rate him. You know, I think uh, Mika Richards was on Sky after the game saying he thinks you know Shearer was better, and he think you know maybe. He's, but can I? Ask you, do you do you think he honestly believes that, or do you think he's just playing up to his paycheck there and being a bit of a Chris Sutton? Mm. Which, for those who don't understand what I'm saying, there is just an you know a, a contrarian for contrarian's sake, which is fine. That's what their job is. But do you think he's? I mean, he must be engaging in a bit of that, right? Possibly. Surely. Do, I yeah. mean, could any professional footballer like deny? How good he was! I mean, I mean Shearer was a great player, but yes. he doesn't. His all-round game is nowhere close no. to Kane's. Um, so you know, Kane's matching him as a goal scorer, but is you know, is creating and you know, his all-round game is is far far better. Um, I mean, Mika Richards was trying to say that defenders were better during Shearer's time, but he might be saying that because he was a central defender during yeah. Shearer's time. And um, I mean, and I, and I would. And I would say that central defenders now are far more skilled than they were then because they have to be because you can't get away with the challenges um, yeah. you got away with then. Oh, it's very strange. I mean, it, look, Alan Shearer was a brilliant centre forward in the Malcolm McDonald uh, sort of range or, or, you know, Bob Latchford, that kind of classic number nine, right? Maybe mm-hmm. underselling him a little bit there, but he was a number nine. I mean, Harry Kane has, you know, the, the brush of De Bruyne about him when he drops yeah. at 30, 40 yards from, from goal. He's the, 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 arguably always the best passer on the pitch. So, I mean, that it's, it's ludicrous to be to underestimate him. Uh, I, I hope that there are a few managers out there who kind of want to underestimate him a little more. Let, let's hope they show their heads, right? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> give I, him a little I, more freedom. When, but when the mainstream media organisation like Sky are perpetuating conversations like who was better, X or Y, I just think it's a lazy conversation. There's no conclusive answer that's ever going to come from it. I think it's fine for us to speculate and talk about it. But yeah, you said it's probably contrary for contrary's sake. Yep. I was going to say, what we can be certain of is he's one of the best that's ever pulled on our shirt and we'll be waiting a long time to see someone as good as him again. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you ask that quite, you, you say that and I think it's a statement well worth making. I mean, I, I span the Glenn Hoddle era um, and, and you know, he was, uh, I, I actually just ended up uh, stating this today to, to friends, uh, you know, I loved Glenn Hoddle. He was my favourite player, uh, along with Chris Hutton as well. But Glenn Hoddle was one of my favourite players of all time, if not my favourite. And I thought he was the best player I'd ever seen in the Spurs shirt. I think it's fair to say that Harry Kane is the best player that I've seen in the Spurs shirt at this point. Uh, for the, for all the reasons we've just been talking about, all that extra stuff he adds to his game. And 
you know, he gets a few of those really important clearances off his own goal line from corners as well. So he really can do it all, can old Harry, can't he? Did Hoddle ever play in goal? Yes, he he did. He did, yeah. did he? He did. He played up at Man United. Remember that wow. was when when Aussie scored the winner in that cut uh-huh. in the cut match. Yeah, no, Glenn Glenn played a a, a, a non non concession uh, half in goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was a was that 78-79, wasn't it? I would say seventy nine eighty, but yeah, the, the season. That's right. It was seventy nine eighty the season before we uh, we won we won the cup with with Alexic mm. in goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was um yeah it was a quarter. Uh, was it a fifth round or a quarter final? I think it was a fifth round, wasn't it? Would have been around that, yeah. Yeah, I, my 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 memory's a little dusty of that, but I still remember Aussie lofting that shot into the into into the top corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Muddy mm. pitch, yeah. And it was a, those were not friendly conditions. Like Glenn, oh. Glenn got yeah, tested I, I, actually. I think, yeah, yeah. Hoddle tells a good story about having gone in goal and Ray Wilkins going over to take a corner and say, "You can guess where this one's going." As Gordon <laughs> McQueen comes running up, sharpening his elbows. <laughs> Hoddle would have made a lovely sweeper keeper in the modern game. Oh, it'd been fantastic, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it would have been very good. Excellent. Sean Dyche Speak- would have loved him to pump one up to uh, Calvin hey, Lewis. Let's, let's, yeah, yeah, let's not have a go quality? at Sean Dyche, eh? What's that? Let's not have a go at Sean Dyche this weekend. No, no, certainly not. Certainly not. But, all right. Well, I think, you know, again, we could probably talk about... Having said, what is there left to say about Harry Kane in this superlative sense? We could superlatize ourselves probably for another half an hour but let's not let's just applaud the man one more time and let's move on to the team selection for today's game against Manchester City because his goal helped us beat them but the team selection and the way we played was all important too um chaps as we always start this particular section of the pod what did you think of the selection and how we played so I think well we had the conversation on WhatsApp when the team news was announced. I think knowing everyone was fit, there are eight positions that pick themselves, and there's there's three tosses of a coin really, which is right wing back, left wing back, and and left centre back. So he's mm-hmm. gone for, for for Royale today, um, Perisic on the left, and then he played um, Davis as the left centre back. It was the same eleven that started at Fulham. It's also the same eleven that started at City a couple of weeks ago as well. Yeah, I mean I think. I, I agree with what you're saying there, Gareth. I think, um, yeah, broadly he's gone safety first, hasn't he? Uh, Davis is yes, slightly more defensively minded centre back. Uh, Royale's definitely the you know, more defensively minded right wing back, and Sess is off form at the moment. So yeah, I think it's pretty much what you'd expect. It's probably too early for Porro. You know, he only came in early this week, and you know, I, I mean, Royal is only a good run of form and it's the better choice for a game like this, I think, probably. I think what I really enjoyed about the selection is that on paper, it certainly looked like safety first and indeed, probably the way we shaped up and played, it was certainly to be tight, not to concede, but there was a lot of energy and a lot of aggression in the performance, a lot of uh, uh, pep in our step, uh, if you'll pardon the pun. (laughs) Um, and uh, I noticed something really early on it was just a personal observation of mine around the second minute Sonny got the ball with his back to goal turned and literally took on the entire pitch and just ended up he ended up in the city box surging run the sort which we've associated with him in the past which has been quite rare in the more recent future and I felt it really did help set the tone of how we played today, it really, it really, you know, stated what we were going to, what we we're going to be doing, stated our attitude, and stated our appetite for the game. Um, uh, even though City then did go on to, you know, have some dominance for that fifteen twenty minute spell, it was a really good tone setter. So it was, wasn't it? It was, a, it was a, a safety first shape, but curiously, they looked, they felt, they felt more adventurous than they usually do, and I think a lot of that was down to that that energy, right? I mean, it was a you know, defensively minded setup. We were playing predominantly on the break, or you know, uh, soaking up pressure and and, and uh, you know, yeah, and breaking. But I don't think it, it wasn't like we saw under Mourinho, where you you have got ten men behind the ball. Or I mean, even Poch did that sometimes, didn't he? Where he soak it up and then you know, you know look for quick breaks, you know, against the big teams. I don't think it was that. I think it was more even than that. Although you know, obviously City had you know. Passed the ball far more than us, had more of possession. You'd expect that, but we we were creating plenty, and and we were yeah. you know press we were pressing from the front. Again, it's not we weren't sitting back and and just yeah. trying to and, and letting City uh, dominate dominate us. And um, yeah, I thought it was a, a really really strong strong performance. I, I think you know we took the best elements of the first half at their place and managed to do it for ninety minutes. It's probably maybe Preston aside our only ninety minute performance of the season. 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's so important. Kulisevsky so important, not just for his creativity, but 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 also the fact that he does like you know he takes that ball and keeps it and holds it and pushes so much. It's so important when he's hitting full match fitness. It makes such a difference through the whole team. Uh, it's very helpful for him and Royale have actually a pretty good a pretty good communication between them, and it, it's getting better and better. They 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 really understand each other well. And I thought I think just seeing him hitting that and Sonny hitting a little bit of confidence too. Those two being so confident up top really, really helps. It really helps from, as you say, because you do ultimately defend from the front, uh, you know, and so it really does help when they're both on it as well. I mean, I think the thing with Decky is that it takes pressure off Kane because yeah. he's the only player other than Kane that really can hold off, hold up the ball like that and bring others into play. And he's got that physicality. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the thing I thought about Decky today was that he really wouldn't look out of place at, at City. And yeah, they yeah. Don't don't you don't don't need to say that too loudly. You can cut that out if you want. They can't afford him. Well said. You're absolutely right. Nobody could afford him. Well, I, I thought what both Sonny and Decky brought to the team today was what they did off the ball. So it was how close they got yes. to the um to the, to the wing. Uh, yes, so the wing backs on both sides when City had the ball, they they tucked in. So often they received the ball in quite deep positions. I mean, generally with Kulisevsky, I, I think where he adds real value to us is he's just giving other teams a third player to to worry about. So mm-hmm. I think that you know where we had that runner form where Son and Kane were scoring a lot of goals under Mourinho and the third player was, was Bergwijn. Um, I think once teams sussed him out, he, he just didn't carry that same threat that they could focus all their attentions on Kane and Kane and Son. Um, likewise, when Lucas was the front, front in three as well. So you can tell that teams are concerned about Kuliseski. I mean, I actually thought with the ball, he perhaps wasn't as he, he wasn't as, as good as we know he can be today. Um, and possibly the same with, with, with Sonny in certain situations as well. But I think what they do is they do pose a threat that defenders have to think about. Yeah, I, I, I thought Sonny's ball carrying was fine today. I, I was a bit um, frustrated by his decision making. There was a couple of times where he broke where either Perisic or, or Kane or, or Decky were on. And, you know, he, he, he wasn't taking the early ball. He wasn't passing to them. You can understand that. You know, it's brought him a lot of success. He's, he's great at shooting from outside the box. Um, but I'm not sure it was the right decision for the team. But you know that's him. He's he's a head down player, isn't he? Really. I mean, I say he was he was definitely net good today. So mm-hmm. he his first touch was much better. We've seen him too often this season him falling over the ball. Um, but he was he was very good. I mean, you've mentioned it, Steph. You saw it within the first couple of minutes. Just that determination. He was able to spin. He was able to get forward off his second touch, and he drove at the heart of City. And he did that on a number of occasions today. Yeah, but. That was an 80-yard run in the first two minutes when we've we've famously been starting games really slowly. And he particularly has spent sometimes half an hour getting anything close to a run in game. So to see him feel that was so important. And and Decky's getting match fit. He still is. So yeah, a couple of times a little shot, not shot. But just the presence of both of them, the confidence and and the mentality. Decky has big, big mentality. You can see it. Very determined. You talk about Stephen Bergwijn, a player I always felt lacked that a little bit. You know, lacked self belief. Decky doesn't lack self belief, does he? He knows. He knows he's a top, a top player. He knows it. I think the thing was son. I thought, particularly in the second half, it was what I was hoping we were going to do at their place. Right. Where you know we'd we'd you know come come in up at half time, second half, frustrate them. And then look for an outlet, and Sonny was providing an outlet, and he was allowing us to get upfield. It means that City can't commit everyone forwards because they have to look out for what's going to happen to them. And, and you know, the the problem at their place was that we made a load of stupid mistakes and allowed them back into the game. And then once they they got found their stride, we couldn't live with it. Today we didn't make any mistakes. I think stability has a lot to do with that. I think knowing where you're going for the next few months, I think knowing where you are as a club, knowing what's going on, I think it helps a team not feel so pushed by the winds around them and like, you know, defending too much and stars. I mean, there was a lot of noise around the club going into the Man City away game and you do feel that they that they may have got a little sucked into it in that second half. We did talk mm-hmm. about that, but but let's let's not let's not dwell too much on that. Let's dwell on the victory here and let's go back to today's game and, you know, if you want to cut my last minute or so of comment please feel free um emerson royale 
He started over Pedro Porro today. He's not always been the most popular player at the club with many of our fans. Um, uh, you know, being the patron saint of supposed lost causes that I am, I've always seen the footballer in him, especially I think we've all seen the footballer in him as a defender. It's a brilliant defender. And we always said in a four, he'd be great. Wasn't quite a four today, but he was required to defend very resolutely. And he was up against Jack Grealish. A titanic battle, which I think he came out on top of, um, and, and and had an excellent game. Uh, chaps, uh, your view on Emerson Royale's performance? Yeah, very good. It's probably exactly the sort of performance in the match that you'd expect to see the best of him. And I think if we were to, to look back at his best performances, I mean, the one that comes to mind was the game up at Anfield at the end of last season when I thought he was excellent. So I think if you're asking him, his primary function is going to be to defend for you. He's very good in that position and I think there'll be a number of occasions throughout the rest of the season where he is the best choice for us to fulfill that role at, at right wing back but yeah he was he was he was he was very good today um I think it really helped him the fact that he's had two away games since that last Arsenal game where he doesn't have the crowd where he didn't have the crowd on his back and I think that's able enabled him to build up a little bit of confidence I mean that shouldn't be down to him to do that that's because of Wally's jeering at him in home matches but it felt like maybe it started off as a bit of an ironic cheer but it felt like it was quite genuine by the end of it but I mean the the best moment it didn't really matter in the end in the first half there was a cross that came over from our left and it went over to the back post and he got there just before yeah. the forward yeah, it was great, I think it? pushed that him was... and a free kick was given but Absolutely you think brilliant. had that been Porro there who's maybe three or four inches shorter than Emerson Royale that could have been a very very different story yeah. Porro's going to look forwards rather than backwards so yeah it's um yeah, there's not going to be Poro's natural game. Yeah, no, that was really key. I I thought Royal was superb today. I think he would be my man of the match, which for me would mean he's done three back-to-back man of the matches because he was excellent in the preceding two games as well. I think he did a great job on Grealish. I, I think you know, Grealish was clearly frustrated with uh, how he was being marked, how he was being defended. And yeah, I, I thought... Yeah, I thought he was brilliant. One thing did occur to me about Grealish, and um, he's a he's a bit of a daft lad, isn't he? And I was wondering whether you know that kind of you sometimes get these um, kind of clips on on the internet on social media where a cat's kind of batting at the TV, or you know they see <laughs> yeah, a mouse or a yeah, bird yeah. on TV and the cat gets. I watch I was all the time. <laughs> I, I was wondering whether we could use the uh, advertising hoard, hoardings to confuse Grealish. Maybe there's something that would distract him and have it running along the around the side of the pitch, yeah, and yeah. he'd go chasing after that rather than the ball. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, look, I I make no bones about it. I love him. I think he's a great footballer. I really wish, um, without getting historical, that we had managed to to seal the deal with him for Poch. I think it would have been instrumental. I I thoroughly enjoyed his battle with with Emerson today. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed their banter. I thoroughly enjoyed Grealish having a little wry smile here and there. I, I, I love the socks near the ankles, the small shin pads. I, I don't know how he gets those past the regulators, but uh, good for him. I just thought it was that's what top level football should be about competitions of that nature between two fine players both excelling in their art form at the moment and today Royale won but ah look I, I think Grealish is a, is, is a fine player and, and, and to be fair he engaged in the right spirit there was nothing malicious at all they got a little chippy with each other but nothing out nothing out of order there was there it was a, I thought it was delightful I really did it was a really great uh, side plot was there a blade of grass on the pitch that Hoy I didn't cover this afternoon and that's the next thing that's worthy of discussion uh, I think there might have been a little bit um, near where you were sitting Gareth that he didn't put a, a foot on but why don't you tell me if that's true Oh, it's very true. He was he was absolutely fantastic today, and it was it was him that won the ball back and got the assist for Kane's goal. He did everything. He was constantly when we were on the break. He was getting in front of the ball and giving an option to for the ball to be passed to. So he was stretching defenders at the other end as well. Uh, he was going down tactically on a couple of occasions to receive treatment. Which is, is that what we call shit housing? That's exactly what we call <laughs> shit housing. Um, but he he seemed to do that at strategic points during the game. It worked really yeah. well. He's um, yeah, uh, alongside Ben Tancur, that midfield partnership is you know is as good as a central midfield partnership as we've seen probably since the Dembele Wanyama axis of 2017. Mm. Yeah, the, when Hoybier got the ball in the face with for the, for the free kick, wasn't it? Yeah, and went down and. Yeah, he wasted a lot of time, didn't he? But no, I thought he had an excellent game again. And and actually, you know, we were talking about kind of attacking outlets. 
Um, he was very, very quick to get forward to support attacks and, you know, broke quite a few times. Um, you know, didn't have a lot of success when he got forwards, but yeah, I thought he had an excellent game. Really, really yeah. strong game. And, and he's another one that is, you know, not very popular with the fans or, you know, underrated, comes in for a lot of criticism. Um, but, you know, I, you, he always puts in a performance. He always works hard. He always, you know, I think he's one of those players that managers like because he does what he's told. Well, he's another one of these players that, as you quite rightly said, Milo, is not always popular with the fans. They always say, well, yeah, we need to upgrade on him. And then you start looking around and say, well, OK, what does an upgrade on him mean? Does it mean Winston McKenney? Certainly not. Um, you know, at, who, who does it mean? And increasingly, you go through the list of players in his position and, and, and you say, well, no, I wouldn't have him over him. I wouldn't have him over Pierre. Wouldn't. And then suddenly you realise Pierre's probably one of the top two or three in his position in, in, in the Premier League and that there's many sides who would like him. There's yeah. many I mean, sides who would like... And, and you look at the sides above you. How many of the sides above us would have Pierre in, the, in their squad or their side? And I would say at least three. At least three. Uh, absolutely. Because as you not- said, he's someone who does what the manager wants. He's tireless. He's fearless. He's smart. He can defend and he can attack. He scored a few goals this season and today, and today had a very good opportunity to score, actually, and was annoyed with himself at the execution in the second half, and probably quite rightly so. I don't know. I, I, I think he is wildly underrated. He's a player that just helps bind everything else together around him. Um, I would say he's probably comparable to to, to Xhaka in the job that he does, mm-hmm. just knitting it all together. I mean, look, if you're looking at technical ability of players, players that played in central midfield, he's not Hoddle, he's not Ardiles, he's not Modric, right. he's probably not even Bentancur, but the role that he fulfills is is a really, really important one. You look at some of the great United teams under Ferguson, there was always an O'Shea, there was a Park, there was a Nicky Butt in there. I think as long as, as, long as you've got the right players around him, he'll continue to be a really valuable asset in the team that we've got, and he'll be a mainstay in the first 11. And I think when you look at partnerships in a team, him and Bentaker have settled in really well. They read each other's game. They complement each other. Um, you know, you kind of break up that kind of partnership at your peril, really. Then there's no one else in the. You know, we've got what you know, five midfielders, central midfielders in total at the club. You know, now January's finished, and none of the other three have really been able to establish a, a partnership in that way with any of the other players. So you're not going to break that up. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you in terms of technical ability. He's not. You know, he's not the best footballer in the world, um, but. He's it's not the working. worst either. He's not. He's no, not he's Stephen not. Freund, is he? he? He has got a touch. He's got a turn. He can. He can score goals as well. Right. I mean, yeah. if we're measuring him against Glenn Hoddle or Paul Gascoigne, then that's utterly unfair. But if you measure him right now against like Naby Keita or people like that, I mean, he's clearly superior. I mean, Liverpool and, would love him if Liverpool had him right now. The club would be doing the handstands, right? I mean, and, and you've also got to bear in mind what the manager wants. The manager manager doesn't want a creative midfielder in there. Doesn't want someone who's going to dribble around everyone. He wants two players who, you know, effectively, you're primarily playing as a shield to allow the forwards and the wing backs to get forwards. But when the opportunity, uh, uh, you know, arises for you know for either one of them to get forward and support attacks, you know, that's what he's looking for. So, yeah, I think what a lot of our fans are calling for, Conte wouldn't want or wouldn't use. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the, yes, this, this is a, a routine problem with criticisms of, of this, particularly this side, actually, and this squad, is that people keep on criticising it for what they don't see them doing that they would want to be done versus what the manager wants done. And, uh, yeah, it's a continual issue. But I, we, it would be remiss for us to uh, move on from Pierre without mentioning that, yes, he, he does create. He's got a cheeky dinker in him or two. That is a, a phrase that I think the game is about glory can claim as the... Uh, the adjective for Pierre's creative sense, the cheeky dinker. Um, talking about cheeky, <laughs> Christian Romero, boy, oh boy. <laughs> uh, you know, again, we mentioned this earlier, Gareth Gareth does some pretty good spreadsheets. Um, Gareth, as we talk about Christian's two yellow cards today, um, why don't you bust out that that stat I, 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 that you ran through? It was really, really interesting. Yeah, sure. So we we looked at when he's receiving his first yellow cards and is he then a walking liability for the rest of the game? So he's he's had picked up seven yellow cards this season and they are in the following order. Fulham, 
27th minute, uh, Sporting Lisbon 67th minute, Aston Villa 28th minute, Arsenal 35th minute, Man City away 23rd minute, Fulham away 17th minute, today 26th minute. So that is, and forgive me, you'll correct me Milo, but thinking back to my GCSE maths, I think the the median average is the one where you lay them all out and then you Mm -hmm. look at the one right in the middle. So the median average is 28. So that's the median average of when he's getting a first yellow card. Now, a bit of research I've just done, and it's from a betting site, and it's a few years old, but it suggests that on average, the first yellow card issued in a game is the 58th minute. So it's telling you how early he is getting cautioned. But invariably, or this season alone, having got a caution, he's been able to rein himself in and avoid that second yellow card. Now, perhaps it was just a game too far for him today. Um, the, the first challenge, the yellow card, was a really needless one. The second one, there was, there was probably a little bit of necessity about it because Grealish was about to skip past him and find his way on the edge of our penalty area. But of course, you'd leave yourself no room for manoeuvre having already been on a yellow card so early on in the game. Um, I think he's fantastic. And I don't think the first foul was needless. I think he was out to wind up Haaland. And I think he did that. And I think, you know, when you look at Haaland, so... This game here today was the first time that Haaland has failed to have a shot in the Premier League this season, and he didn't have a single touch in our box. And yeah, that's because Romero got at him and didn't give him space and didn't allow him to do that. And I think that challenge was, you know, it's a bit like when he first joined us. He used, do you remember he used to do those little really snappy little tackles at people's ankles? He'd stand behind them and he'd be just niggling at them, just chipping away. And I think he's just just trying to disrupt other players. You know, I think you saw that a little while ago, a little while later when he won a free kick in our area. He'd pulled Harlan's shirt and Harlan reacted and he went down mm. and was um, playing playing up a bit. And um, yeah, and you know, he, he got to him. And yeah, the fact that you know, one of the best strikers in the league didn't have a shot is down to him. You know, you can argue. I think you know it's absolutely right that you know it didn't get, it didn't give him space for an error in the in the second half. Um, I don't think there's really an argument with either yellow card, but I think you've got to take it's part of his game. I think it's part of the reason why we won today, and I think you've got to look at the positives from it. I don't think you can take it out of his game, and you wouldn't be starting anyone over him given the choice. Um, you know, and how many times in the past have we been too nice? Have been said we need some bastards. We need you know. We need some people you know, with some bite and some snap. Mm. Well, he's, he's certainly got that. I and mean, there was a there was a moment before the second yellow card where he that front foot defending. He came in, he nicked the ball probably above Haaland, yep. and then he started off a counter attack which went by a sunny, and then he he followed the run, and he was on the edge of the penalty area. Um, hard to say. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I thought Haaland was was incredibly quiet today. I I, I think, and you you both said it actually since the start of the season that I think he's really disrupted Manchester City. I know we've mm-hmm. come on to talk about them. Um, I suppose my my point in terms of this one was I, I don't know whether that happened because of the level that Romero put in on him on the 26th minute today, or whether that would have happened anyway. Well, I, I I mean I take a slightly less binary view of Romero and Haaland. I thought it was an excellent performance by Romero overall and I'll get into my issue with the first yellow in a minute but uh, I think generally we defended very very well Mm -hmm. that caused Haaland to be uh, as as ineffective as I think he's been all season for Manchester City in the Premiership Premiership. and obviously I think Christian Romero's um, aggression was part of that I think the thing that worried me about that and the thing that worries me about some of those challenges that he's been putting in in first halves of that nature is that there's clearly something that has happened which has rattled his cage uh, and I, I'd like him to control that just a little more uh, I'd like him to go back to a little more of the tapping than the just cleaning out albeit as an impartial spectator I absolutely loved seeing it but then I'm left wondering how how well he can do the dance for the remaining game yeah. um, and in fairness he did it very well until as you said, the 87th minute when he had a decision to make. And I think you're right, Gareth, he made the right decision. Um, he had to, you know. So I, I just, I think maybe we should uh, ask Pierre to feign injury around the 28th minute of games and have someone run out with a little ice flannel for Christian and, and just tell him to bre- take 10 deep breaths and maybe we can get him through that phase of first halves and just bring him back down. And so I really don't think it's... I really don't think it's a red mist thing. I think it, I think it's calculated. I think he intends to do it. I think he was trying to wrestle Haaland. I don't think he was angry, but I, I think the other thing is is that you know when he does these challenges, and I think they are rash, but they're they're very rarely dangerous. He's always in control of it. He wasn't going out to hurt Haaland today, was he? Yeah, because he didn't go studs up or anything like that. Mm, He's sliding in sideways, and you know it's a bit like. Um, 
the one he did on Richarlison last season for Everton, where he kind of kicked his foot, didn't he? Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I, mean, I, I think he knows what I he's doing. If, I can't get into the forensics of it because if someone comes into you like that and jars your knee in the wrong way, you've put them out for three or four months, as Andy Carroll did to Christian Eriksen, actually, in the cup. But, you know, regardless, I mean, we don't really know where his head's at, whether it's calculated, whether it's uh, red mist. We're not too sure. I mean, I, I, you know, I think we've all got our view on it. But, uh, I mean, overall, I think let's just say and agree that he had a tremendous game. Um, and that I, I think, actually, Gareth, you've probably had the best word on it, which is it was probably one, tw- you know, early uh, mid first half yellow card ganging up for a second yellow too far i think that's probably the best way to put it and against the top side i mean man city are a top side and they will draw yellows out of you and by the way i thought the ref was terrible today in that regard thank god it's leicester he's missing you know it's they're not in a great run of form you know it could have been a lot worse yeah uh what was particularly great today um was seeing benjamin uh not just back but really really back i mean uh yeah, as 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 is said in these notes that that, that Milo wrote uh, earlier, uh, you know, he quietly goes about his business, and you wouldn't notice him, but for the fact that City didn't get a sniff on his side, or his back, or his front, or his knee, or his foot, he was all over them. Uh, they didn't get a sniff anywhere. <laughs> he was tremendous, wasn't he? A moment's praise for Benjamin, gentlemen. I think he's one of those. You know, the the old cliche about you tell a good defender because he's the one who leaves the pitch with the clean sh- clean shorts, and. I think it was that kind of performance from Ben Davis today. You, you, you know, he's, he's not going to feature on any highlights reels because he just quietly snuffed things out. And mm. yeah, I thought you know a really really good performance against a really really good team. And yeah, it will go unnoticed by most because not by us <laughs> because he wasn't sliding around all over the place or thumping his chest. He thumped a few chests around him, though. He was very physical, wasn't he? he I thought he was very physical today and very, very, uh, you know, he very imposing on, on the Man City uh, forwards. I mean, he didn't let anyone get anything. He was putting a few digs and kicks in as well. He was, uh, yeah, he was impressive. Yeah, he's very good. And you, he's pro- that performance today against Manchester City, it's his shirt to lose now. There may mm-hmm. be some games, if we're playing against weaker sides who are going to sit back, then you might want Longley's passing range on instead of him. But, you know, right. Right now, if you put it into the, if you were playing in the Champions League final tomorrow, what teams you pick? Davis now yep. is that first choice. Can I ask you both sort of a side question? It isn't in our notes, and it's one that was sort of floating around my brain. And I thought, shall I ask it? And I'm going to. Um, you know, Benjamin's not had as much football as others in our shirt this season. He did go to the World Cup. A little bit of an odd tournament overall, I would say, probably for for him and Wales. Uh, you know, he's been sort of in and around the squad. Uh, he's had a couple of excellent games recently. Do we feel that, you know, was there some master plan to make sure that a defender who was part of our run-in last season um, retained energy and strength for this run-in? Um, uh, you know, and, and how important is it to have players like like Davies and, and Hoybier and, and Eric Dyer, who we're going to go on to, you know, who are, they are leaders on the pitch how important is it going to be to keep all of them on the pitch uh, for for the, the well it's not quite the run in but you know the foreseeable future i mean i think the success we had in the run in last season is that we only had one competition left to play in and we could play a settled defence week in week out um this season he's been one of the only players that we've actually rotated i think probably um perisic and sesnyon are the you know, the other two maybe Doherty and, and Royale, although that's tended to be that Conte's had a favourite for a period and it's predominantly been Royale. But yeah, he's been one of only two or three players or two or three positions that we've actually rotated this season. I don't think there was some masterstroke there. I think um, uh, I think it's been largely based on, yeah, been merited, it's been on 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 form. Uh, he hasn't been in the best form, but we've, yeah, we've been switching the defence and it's not quite so settled. Um, and I think... Yeah, it's interesting you kind of you know, mentioned him in the same breath as, as Hoybier. I was thinking when we were talking through this, um, yeah, very similar as we we're saying to Hoybier, he's a player that managers like because he does what he's told. You know, he's technically good, he follows instructions, um, he's never showy, but just yeah, you know, quietly goes about his business and delivers what the manager wants, you know. And again, talking. he's another he's another one that a lot of our fans underrate. You know, I I I I've seen lots of comments during the window, you know. We've been, you know, we've been, you know, how long is it we've had Dyer and Davis in defence? Well, you know, when they're on form, they're both very good. Um, they're mm-hmm. instrumentalists getting uh, top four last season. They could well be again. Yeah, I mean, we're back 
to uh, a favourite of ours on the pod, or a favourite of, of mine, I would say, Eric Dyer, um, who uh, once again, as you know, we've said this a few times on this pod, which is sort of disturbing, isn't it? A player that the fans don't rate. Um, yet here he is again, as you've said, you know, uh, part of another uh, but, you know, pretty peerless performance. I mean, I don't think he put a, I don't think he put one foot wrong today. Got a couple of really important blocks in. There was one late in the game that was very important. Um, you know, it's important to see him in that form. It's also critical, isn't it, that Hugo Lloris seems to have recovered from his wobbles for now, right? I mean, these are all really, he came flying out. That was a really important punch that he got on the ball right near the end. Uh, you know, it, it feels like things are starting to gel back there and our old pros are starting to find their mojo, right? Yeah, well, what I mean, difference a, a few weeks, mate. Said that right in your introduction today. But I left that stadium what three weeks ago after the Arsenal game. We then, I think, the three it was the three of us podding that night, and it really felt like that was probably the nadir in where we're going to be at the moment. We felt so low that evening. It really felt like we were waiting to find out that the manager was going to leave. That the things were were going to happen. Um, those things aren't. Those things haven't happened. They referenced that team meeting that the that the players had, and clearly something's happened in that meeting. Meeting that's been very very positive I heard Harry Kane talking about it post-match today about just trying to get back to basics and thinking about the things that they were good at and being hard to beat and defensively resolute and those are the three things that have really come to the fore in the last three games I think you've got to bear in mind that we've had one game a week during this period so I think mm. you know when we talk about what's changed I think that's changed I think it's given us we know that um, we're a lot better when Conte's got time or the coach has got time to prepare the prepare us properly we know that that preparation is very detailed. I think also that there's been question marks about our fitness this season, particularly when, you know, when we've had two games a week. And I think you know that that you know the recovery time just isn't there when we've when we've got that kind of fixture congestion. So it'll be interesting to see whether we're still like this once we're back into the into the routine of having two games a week, which you know is happening and it starts again in a few weeks' time. Yeah, interesting. And I think also we 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 must continue to remember the deep deep effect that the World Cup. Uh, has had on all all teams, not just us. Um, you know, it, you, you cannot quantify the effect that that tournament had in the middle of a season of of, of this already uh, difficult uh, nature and magnitude. I mean, you know, yeah, and well, and that kind of plays into that two games a week thing as well because yeah. we've got a, com- a you know compressed uh, calendar because we lost two months in the middle of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, optimistically speaking, I like to think that we've reset and that when we talk about going back to basics, that that helps us understand that in each game, as long as you knock off the basics, then you can go on and win yeah. games. And hopefully that's what we're seeing the beginning of. We've got a testable a testable hypothesis here, Steph. Let's come back to this at the end of the month and see whether our results are holding up when, we, when we've got two games a week. Is but testable hypothesis what's... a pod title? It isn't really, not, is not, it? It's not, not going to set the not, hearts not racing. Not well, it's not going to set any hearts racing, is it? The testable hypothesis. I like it as a phrase, though. It sounds but, like inevitable geometry. Really, it's a jazz you, band. Yeah, you, you talk about Hoiberg, we've spoken about Davis, we've spoken about Dyer. What's really key now is that there's trust in those players who can come in and replace them. So next week, presumably Sanchez, possibly Tanganga are going to have to come in for Romero for a week. When we go back to playing two games a week, Basuma Skip may well need to come in and, and play and rotate between Hoiberg and Bentancur. I, 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 um, so, I'd like so to volunteer. Really I'd like to interrupt you there and volunteer that. Uh, do you think, uh, chaps, there's a possibility that we would play? Emerson Royale on the right of that centre back pairing and put put Poro at wing back is that a possibility? I, I mean, I was thinking about that during the game about if um, yeah, if Royale stays with us next season, are we going to see him at right centre back? You know, more than right wing back. I don't think we'll do that next week. No, um, but there were you know parts of his performance, you know, particularly Aaron, that were quite centre back like today. Uh, but no, I don't think so. It, what will be interesting is is that he's seen he's typically used Sanchez as Dyer's understudy, hasn't he, of, of late? And it's been Jaffet who's who's been playing at, at right centre back. Jaffet hasn't been in the best of form. I mean, he was okay against Preston, but you know the previous games he's been pretty iffy. But personally, I'd be picking Sanchez. But that's not what Conte's been doing of late. So it'll be interesting to see where where they are. I think he will simply based on the fact that Royal and Kulisevsky have their thing going again. And I think that that's a sort of a groove that everyone understands. Um, and I, I, yeah, I, I think I think we will see him in next week. But who knows? We don't know, do we? We're speculating and it's fun to speculate. But what we can talk about for sure that we know, or I think we know, is that the atmosphere today at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was immense. I mean, Gareth, 
was that the loudest it's been since Arsenal at home last season? It certainly sounded like it. I'd say, yeah, the, the crowd played a really valuable part and they grew into the game, I think, just as much as the team did today. I mean, you did feel, I mean, looking back at it in, in hindsight, where we've had those sort of real stinkers of late at home, that you felt that that's been brewing in the crowd, that there's been, um, I guess, a feeling of apathy around the place. There wasn't today, but maybe it was just notable because there wasn't that negativity and, and apathy. So I think they, the crowd grew into the game as the as the players did. I think they, the, the players and the fans dovetailed off each other quite nicely. There, yeah, there, I mean, there was no negativity around the stadium today. And, and it sounds daft, but that makes such a huge difference when there's not groaning. When it the doesn't sound daft. What, but, oh, hang on, i got to pick you up on that. Why does that sound daft? More, I think more people should recognise that this is super important. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the, the point of the observation I'm, I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to make, which, which you picked up on, is that we've almost become accustomed to the fact that there is going to there has been negativity within the stadium. So once you remove that, you know, you don't need to be flying flags or having tifos up or singing glory glory for an hour in anticipation of the game. But just by not being daft and not being whiny and um, that negativity, it, it does make a difference. It was noticeable. So I wouldn't say it was the loudest I've ever heard the stadium today certainly not from kickoff um, but yeah I think it it, it rose this levels rose as the game went on I mean I think it's I think Gareth makes a good point about kind of the fan unrest we've seen since you know the restart um, yeah that tends to kick up in transfer during transfer windows and but I think today it was it, it was the first time I haven't heard kind of the Enoch out or Levy out kind of chance audibly within the stadium and yeah what we saw kind of last year was that we had those protests and then as the form improved that all of that petered out again and I wonder whether we might see the same thing again this time with you know if, if we go on a run whether whether that dampens down again I, I I'm not going to hatch any weird farm metaphors or anything but I can't av- I can't help myself I have a weird side thought that I want to throw at both of you and you can both um, tell me what you think. Uh, It's a little ludicrous, so take the leap of logic with me. Maybe Antonio's gallbladder was the source of all the problems. Maybe it was emitting such horrible energy through the club and the stadium from the moment it was sort of going bad inside him that its subsequent removal has, has lifted the tension from the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, from the supporters, from the players and the coaches, and and that we're seeing a a new wave of of relief uh, that's allowing us to enjoy both our our football both on and off the pitch. Uh, Is that possible or is that just inveterate bollocks? Um, I think, yeah, there's kind of a hint of lemons in there. (laughs) That was reading the subtext of it. So so we've had laser surgery on the bad bad vibes have we is that what you're saying sort of i like to think of this tiny little like horrible filthy gallbladder that caused our wonderful manager so much pain and distress and obviously was getting to a a crunch point and probably building up actually from the arsenal goes matter of fact i'm I'm officially prepared to blame antonio's rotting gallbladder for the arsenal performance and everything that happened and it's gone now and everything seems to be absolutely brilliant again and so i'm left with no other conclusion is is that bonkers or (laughs) I came out of the game against Arsenal and in hindsight, perhaps it feels like that's absolutely rock bottom for us. And we've all known that. We've all been in emotional places yeah. in our life when you realise that you've hit rock bottom and you know that the only way up from there is is up. And without going too deep on it, I think that's probably one thing that Enoch have given us. You know, the floor levels that they've created now are that losing at home to Arsenal and being in sort of the peripheries of fifth or sixth place is about as bad as it's going to get yeah. for us at the moment. Yeah. And I mean, and look, staying with the whole idea of of things being galling, it must be galling for Pep, right? To to, to never, not be able to get a goal at our stadium, let alone a win. There he was chirping away after the game, and we'll talk about that in a minute. First of all, what did we think of Manchester City? Uh, I think that he's once again guilty of overcomplicating mm-hmm. things, overcomplicating his team selection and shape. It wasn't really obvious what what, what they were trying to do today, or or, or how they were going to try and overcome change that they had. But they've got a real Indian sign, haven't they? Or, or we've got a real Indian sign over them at this stadium. That's five games in a row they've lost all five of them without scoring a goal. It reminds me of when St Mary's first opened and we couldn't get a goal or a or a win down there. But but but, but bizarre. I think we won the last two at, at White Hart Lane as well, didn't we? So if we exclude Wembley from it, mm. I think... So yeah. in N17, I think our unbeaten run against them goes even further. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, correct. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd agree. I think I think he overcomplicated it. Unless there's fitness issues, I don't understand why he left better players on the bench. I also think that, you know, as good as players as, as Haaland and Grealish are, I don't think they really fit what's been successful at City. I think he's 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 signed individuals. And what's made City great is that kind of collective and, um, you know, they just pass you to death. And um, I don't, you know, the front three today didn't really connect. You know, Haaland was clearly frustrated with the service he was getting. Um, and, yeah, I just, I don't, I just, I don't really understand their transfer activity. I don't understand, yeah. you know, why would you sign Haaland who, you know, isn't great in build-up play. He's just an out-and-out goal scorer and then put, in, put him into a side that doesn't, you know, doesn't look to play to his strengths. It just seems odd to me. Yeah. He's either going to look like a genius over the Rico Lewis Cancelo situation or he's going to be shown up as the, one of the weirdest tinkerers of our time, isn't he? Because, I, I, I you know, I, I've not seen enough of Rico Lewis to really have a full judgment. He's obviously got to be one hell of a player if Pep Guardiola's making decisions to play him over Cancelo. But you have to say today, I couldn't figure out quite what his role for Rico Lewis was at first. And I'm not sure Rico Lewis understood what his role was. And ultimately... You wonder if Cancelo had been there, if it wouldn't have been a little uh, a little harder for us. And and it was Lewis who was mugged for our goal. You know, Hoybier, um you know, stole the ball off him and put it through to Kane. So, yeah, I, I just wonder whether Pep's just, you know, he, he finds it so easy now. He's just trying more difficult ways to do it to see if he can. Um, you know, he's completed the game several times and now he's going to do it on the hardest level possible. Yeah, just to, just to see whether he can. He's bizarre. He still reminds me of Basil Fawlty in the way he looks sometimes, albeit he doesn't have quite the Fawlty-esque gestures. But he does like a little chippy comment. I mean, he made this whole thing again about, you know, when 10 defend and all this business earlier, which was, you know, I mean, I, I think you had an XG stat, Milo, which sort of made a mockery of uh, of his comments overall in that regard. Yeah, it was um, 1.45 to 0.97. So, you know, we were comfortably... Um, you know the better better team. Um, they just didn't really create much, did they? I mean, no. you know, yeah. They hit the bar once, and then and then we had this thing where he said uh, a rough quote. He said, "If I call them the Kane team, Pochettino will get upset." I mean, it's like, hang on, he says he lost his marbles here a bit. Number one, he's going back to that, that old ding dong from years ago, and number two, should someone remind him that we won a Champions League quarter final against him without Harry on the pitch? I mean, I, what what is his? What he's he's an odd fellow, isn't he? He really he's is. a very really. strange genius. Yeah, yeah he's right. an odd fellow. He always yeah. seems a little too proud of himself. I, I don't know. He's a strange. I, I just don't think you can work that long at that level without being a complete knob. Basically, I mean, all of the top, ma- <laughs> all of the top managers are knobs, aren't they? I love it. I mean, we can dance around the issue all we want, but you've brought it to the, what we're all thinking that you know Pep Guardiola is a bit of a bell end, isn't he? Yeah. But I mean, you know, Mourinho's a knob. I mean, they're all knobs. I mean, Ferguson was, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just is there a manager I, that isn't a knob? I'm trying to think. No, Arteta's a knob. Uh, even knob. though I like Klopp, he's got knobby qualities, isn't he? He's getting knobbier as well. <laughs> Antonio, love him. Probably considered a bit of a bell end by most people. I'm sure he's an absolute prick. But he's our prick, and we love him. We could just have a, we could have a section here where we just swear at managers if you want. I just yeah. Well, the only one who would not be a knob is Poch. Poch is beyond knobbery. He was never a knob, even when he was at his most vexed. He was never a knob. Over emotional, he might have been, but he was never a bell end. Never a bell end. You can't say that. I won't have it. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. I, I, well. <laughs> We have to have closing thoughts of one positive and one negative, if only to get, you know, this array of knobs out of our, our brains now. But uh, So, closing thoughts, one positive and one negative. Uh, it says in 30 seconds, you know, we break that rule. So, uh, Gareth, why don't you lead off? Uh, the positive is that we've got a real statement victory against a really high-flying team, and it should give us the confidence to to build on that and to drop the inferiority complex that I was worried was creeping into the side. Um, the say the negative is that we're not playing Man City again, but we could play them in the Champions League and the FA Cup. Um, my positive is that Christian Stellini's got a hundred percent win record, which means I never have to hear about Tim Sherwood's uh, win percentage again, and negative I suppose not having Romero next week yeah the positive was just the entire day from a Tottenham Hotspur perspective um and uh I I have no negatives 
I have no negatives. If I had one, I'd probably nick yours there, Milo, and say, you know, the fact that Romero won't be around. But this is not a day about negatives. This was all positive, and it was surely uh, a sign that, you know, in this mini season that we're in right now um, and these next few months, uh, we can all get together, whatever your opinions on who's running the club, whatever, we can all get together and enjoy uh, what looks to be a really ex- exciting run in. And, and, and on that note, I mean, I think just to say and bring us all in on this, you know, the, the level of support that was enjoyed by the team today clearly made a difference. And it showed me just how important it is that, you know, regardless of your long-term thoughts on how things are run and things are done, the short term leading into the month of June here, it's isn't it so important that we all sing from the same hymn sheet at this particular moment and push in the right direction, in the same direction? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly once you're in the ground, you get get between the team, get behind the team for ninety minutes and um, mouth off all you want outside of that. Yeah, no, I think it's a, I think it's a great lesson. I think it was something that I was why I was a bit little bit zen after the Arsenal defeat because things do turn around very very quickly. Teams can go from being in a really really shit space. I think where Man United were right at the start of the year, where Arsenal were probably eighteen months ago. And if everyone does pull in the right direction, and well, look, we spoke about it right at the at the top, but clearly there's a disconnect between the ownership of the club and a large number of fans that needs to be addressed but what we saw today on the pitch was that between fans manager coach and, and supporters there was there was some synergies today and if everyone pulls in the right direction and we're all reading off the same off the same page then good things can happen and they can turn around quite quickly yeah well said as long as we focus on that particular core that we do have synergy with i think some really good things can end up happening this season and indeed i believe they will so um Anyway, well, thanks very much, chaps. It was fun, as it always is. Cheers, Steph. Thank you. Um, And thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week to talk about our game against Leicester City. See you next week.